Back on Year of the Bible. Last week, a couple weeks ago, I had a talk with Chris, Neil, and normally I just claim these things as though I said them, but I'm gonna give you credit because you're in the room. Um, Chris and I were talking about brokenness. You remember this? And, and Chris said something I thought was so cool. He said, I think God does his best work with broken vessels because broken things allow light to shine in, right? That's pretty good. That was almost poetic, man. Because if something's whole and fixed and complete, light doesn't permeate, light doesn't get in. But if something's got cracks, if something's broken, then light has a chance to get in. And so God does his best work through broken vessels because broken vessels are those vessels that allow light to shine in. And that's why if you've been reading You're the Bible, I know you all have because you winked at me last week. There are so many stories of broken people in here, right? I mean, think about the people you've read about. Tell, you're going to read about one perfect person in this book, and his name is Jesus Christ. The rest of them are a little flawed. Moses had some things, right? Abraham had some things. David was pretty cool, and then Bathsheba decided to take a bath in front of him, and we get mad at him. Come on, Bathsheba. I mean, but all these guys have some sort of flaw going on in their life, right? It's broken vessel after broken vessel. And so today what we're going to do, because we've transitioned from, from Luke into Acts, and so today I want to introduce you to one of the most broke dudes in the entire Bible, and his name is Paul. And some of you will have heard of Paul, but let me tell you, I, I have the pleasure and the joy and just the honor of preaching in a church where two years ago I did a sermon on Paul, and I will never forget this. And if you're, if you're here today and you're this person who said this to me, I love you more. You, you changed my life. Someone came up to me after a sermon and said, hey, who's Paul you've been talking about? And so if you're here today and you don't know him, man, I'm about to open your eyes to a man who can change your life. If you're here today and you do know him, and you think you know it all, then humble yourself because God's about to speak something new and something fresh. Paul is a man we should know. The Bible calls him Saul. The Bible calls him Paul. It's the same dude. Uh, Paul was his Greek or Roman name, and he used that name more often because when he was with the Greeks, he did as the Greeks. When he was with the Romans, uh, Saul was his Jewish name. It's the exact same guy. And in this message, I will go back and forth between the two because I won't think about it. So don't get confused. I am talking about the exact same person, whether I say Saul or Paul. All right? Uh, but he is a guy we need to know. So let's kind of get caught up to how, how he enters the story. You guys may remember, I'm sure you did, because it was a great message. Last week, we talked about how the church had come to life, right? You remember that? So there's, there's thousands of people in Jerusalem, thousands of Jewish people who are now followers of this thing called the way. They weren't called Christians. That won't come until later on in Acts. They weren't called uh, the church. They were just called the way. And it was this gathering of people who, who were sharing the things they had, who were somehow united around this idea that this one Jew had died on a cross, had come back to life, and had walked around with them for 40 days, and they were believing this, and they were going into public and saying it. Well, the Jewish religious leaders had had a system, and the system was orderly, and the system had worked for, for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, and now these followers of the way are growing in number. And they're saying that this Jesus was the Messiah that God had always promised this Jesus was God, that he was the son of God, that he was one with God, that he was the promised one. And so the religious system is getting upset. And so these, these religious leaders who want to hold on to their way of life, they don't like this. And so they begin to persecute these followers of the way. In Acts 4.1, it says this. 
the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Okay, this is becoming a problem. Now they've arrested two of the leaders of the way. Remember the other day, they had 3,000 people. Y'all remember this? It said around 3,000 people were part of that number. Now they've got 5,000. And they're just counting men. They're not counting women. Because that's that's not what they did then. So they're just counting men. They got about 5,000 Jews who are leaving their Jewish way of life to become followers of this group called the way. And the leaders are worried. And the leaders are scared. Uh, Everything they're doing is going, they didn't have the Old Testament as we had it. The the Jewish people at that time had something called the Law and the Prophets. And these Jesus people, these way people are are sort of rebelling against this. And by rebelling, I mean they're saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. I mean, it's crazy. And so they're worried. And so as the persecution begins to escalate, a, a moment where everything changes in the Bible happens. There's a guy named Stephen. And Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. And he's bold and he's brave and he's in love with Jesus and he's just this beautiful, incredible soul. And one day the Sanhedrin, which is the the high court, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the Jewish religious leaders, they call him in front and they're like, you got to stop talking about Jesus. We've heard enough. And Stephen just uncorks. He's like, I'm going to tell you the story from the very beginning. And he does what's known. Y'all ever seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington? Everyone over 50 is like, yes. The rest of you are like, no. Well, Stephen does what's known as a filibuster, right? He just goes and just, he just goes at it. And he's going and he's going. And you're like, you ever been talking and you're getting more and more excited? I do that a lot. And sometimes when you're getting more and more excited, at some point you write a check that, that you can't cash. Right? You get something out there that you're almost like, no. Oh! Stephen crosses a line. In Acts chapter 7, listen to this. Listen to what Stephen says. He's, he's going and he's going and then he says, You stiff-necked people. (laughs) Stiff-necked. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. What? He just made a circumcision joke. Who does that? You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And you betrayed and murdered him. And you have received the law that was given to the angels, but you have not obeyed it, you stiff-necked people. And they're like, you know what? Bad choice. Get the rocks, boys. So now they're going to stone him. Because that's what these people did when they got really angry with you. Like, I would have been in there and just been like, hello, everyone. (laughs) What do you want me to say? But Stephen's like, you stiff-necked people. And so they drag Stephen outside. Imagine this, guys. We hear the term stoning. They take rocks and they beat him to death with rocks. It's not one big rock that falls on you and it's fast. It's a series of rocks until you die. And the Bible, if you've never read the story of Stephen being stoned, I encourage you to read it. 
he, he looks up in the midst of all this and it says his face is glowing and Stephen looks up and says, Father, forgive them. And they kill him. Gorgeous. And there's a verse in Acts, right here we meet this guy named Saul of Tarsus and he's called Saul of Tarsus because he's from Tarsus, like Jesus of Nazareth. And so it says in Acts 8, 1, it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. So Stephen Stone, this happens in Jerusalem, Saul is there, and he approves of it. And after this, the believers are scattered. This group called the Way, now they've seen one of their boys stoned to death, and it says they begin to scatter. And they scatter from Jerusalem into Judea into Samaria, and Samaria was a really good place for a Jew to hide because it was full of Samaritans, and so nobody wanted to go there. But the problem was, as they scattered, they continued to tell people about Jesus. They didn't run silently. They ran and were like, we got to tell you about Jesus too. I mean, they're running from town to town and they're telling everyone they meet about this Jesus person. And so in Acts 8, 3, it says this, Saul begins to pursue them. It says Saul began to destroy the church. He's going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So you, get, you, got, you got to understand this. This is, the, this is the beginning. They're scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. They're going all over the place. Saul is going house to house in Jerusalem. He's dragging them out. And if you were dragged to prison, it wasn't going to end well if you refused to denounce Jesus Christ. It would end for you like it ended for Stephen. And so Saul is dragging these folks out. He is in pursuit of the people of God. He was blinded by his religion. And it is so easy for us to go, oh, Saul, what a terrible person. But all he was doing was all he knew. Did you guys read the Old Testament? It would not have been hard for Saul to validate killing Christians if all he had was the Old Testament. That's why some of you who are still using the Old Testament as a way to demean people and devalue them and prove your own religious point, you need to stop. Because there's a whole other part of this thing written. And it's greater than the one that came before. There's a new covenant. But Saul, if all you had was the old covenant, it's really easy to validate killing people in the name of God. And so that's what Saul is doing because his eyes have not yet been opened by Jesus Christ. Acts 9.1, Saul has got them on the run and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and said, he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anywhere, anyone who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as a prisoner to Jerusalem. All right, so now what Saul has said is, can I leave Jerusalem? I don't just want to get them in, they left. Remember, they went to Judea and Samaria. And so Saul says, can I follow them? Let me go too. Let me put together. Y'all ever seen the movie Young Guns? This is just like that, except for camels, not horses. Same thing. And so Saul puts together a posse, right? And his posse is riding out on their camels. And it's not like this, it's more like this. Because camels don't gallop. And so he's going, that's probably too much. So he's going, he's going on his camels and his people are going and they got their guns loaded and they're chasing the Christians and they're going from house to house and they're hunting these people down and they're killing them. And as Saul is on his way to Damascus, something really interesting happens to his posse. Saul is going... And it says, a bright light hits him. Y'all remember this part? And a voice says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that. 
Y'all remember when Jesus said that, what you've done unto the least of my brother, you've also done unto me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus takes the pain of his people personally. You remember that. By persecuting them, you're persecuting me. I like that. You messing with them, you messing with me. And so Saul goes blind. He's always been blind. But now he can't see, right? <laughs> now he can't see. And so he goes back, he goes back to, to, the, to Damascus and, he, and he's there and, he, and he's blind and he doesn't know what's going on. And God calls this other member of the way named Ananias. And God says, Ananias, you remember Saul, the guy who's killing all the Christians? He's in your city and I want you to go talk to him. And Ananias is like, hey God, um, there appears to be some confusion. We know he's in our city. That's why we're about to leave this city. I don't know if you know this or not, God, but he's been killing people like us. So Ananias gives God all the information he didn't have, which is good, because God didn't know the whole story, which we do that for God a lot, right? God, you don't understand. And God's like, oh. So Ananias fills him in on the rest of the story. And God says, I want you to go anyway. And Ananias, you know, like a kid, when they're going to clean the room, they don't want to, he does this. <sighs> He's going to talk to Saul, fully expecting to die. And in Acts 19, or in Acts chapter 9, this is what it says. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you. He doesn't say, hey, I wanted to come see you. He says, God sent me here. Don't get it messed up. This wasn't my idea. The Lord Jesus has sent me here <laughs> so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eye and he could see again. I wish it said, and he could see for the first time. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right. The scales that were on his eyes have fallen away. Amen for that. And so the next, I don't know, however many chapters of Acts are all about, or in large part, about the ministry of Paul about the ministry of this man who hated followers of Christ, about how he goes and changes the world. So I wrote this part, I wrote everything you just heard, and then I got to this part and I thought, why do they care? Why did I just spend the last, I don't know, 10 minutes of your life giving you an autobiography of someone you will never meet in your life, at least on this side? What does it matter to you? So I think there's a couple of things that I think make Paul such an important figure in your life and in my life. And the first one is he wrote about 13 books of the Bible. He wrote 13 books of the, of the, of the book, and they were actually letters. He's writing letters to other people he didn't know it was going to be combined into this Bible thing. But he wrote 13 letters in this book that we are basing our lives on, right? I mean, we're staking everything we have that this is true. And if I'm going to stake everything I have that this is true, I kind of want to know who it came from. So I think it's good that we know Paul and understand Paul and then that's happened. But the other reason, and for me the more important reason, is because Paul was flawed in such a beautiful way and I can relate to it.
Let's go back to that verse in Acts chapter 8, 1, and it said this. And just keep this one up there for me if you don't mind. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. All right, Saul, that's talking about the stoning of Stephen, right? Let me just give you guys, just keep that up for me if you don't mind. Let me give you guys a little information on what's happening. Luke wrote this book, okay? Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Luke wasn't there when Stephen was stoned. Luke was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Greek from Antioch, not a Jew from Jerusalem. Stephen was stoned in Jerusalem. Luke would have had no idea that this happened. But Luke was under the leadership of Paul. So let me tell you where I'm going with this. The only reason that's in the Bible is because Paul allowed it to be. This, there's something personal about this to me. There's other points in the Bible where Paul confesses his sin, but for some reason, I read that this week and it just sat on my heart. How personal that must have been. Stephen was a beautiful man. Incredible heart, incredible spirit. Saul killed him. Saul gave his life, he gave his head for Jesus Christ. Do you know how much Paul loved Jesus? How do you think he felt when he reflected on that moment? And the way I picture this going down, and I know I'm reading between the lines, but whatever, you can do it too, is one night maybe Paul and Luke were on a journey together because this is how these things often happen. And Luke was, was maybe talking about this guy he had heard about named Stephen who preached so boldly and he was the first one killed for Jesus. And Paul looked at him from across the campfire and said, I gotta tell you something that I've never told anybody. I was there. I was there when they killed him. And I approved of it. You guys ever had a moment in your past you wish you could erase? One that you prayed would never come out? One that you were so scared of and it broke your heart so much? That's Saul's moment. And the reason it's in the Bible, hear me on this, the reason you know about it is because he refused to let that define him. He had a, he had a choice. He could either be captive to this thing for the rest of his life, and I promise you it hurt him. I didn't know this man personally, but I can guarantee you that hurt him as bad as anything he'd ever done. He refused to let this moment captive the rest of his life, and he knew he had some choices with it. He couldn't erase it. We cannot erase that moment from our lives, but we can take it captive for the glory of God. And if you take it captive, it no longer has chains on you. Let's listen to what Paul did. He wrote this, and he did it, and it was the way he lived, and it was the way he was. It's, it's in it's in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and this is what he says. And this is the way he lived his life. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Do you know why Paul wrote that? Because Paul lived that. 
He had thoughts that had set themselves up against the power of God. How many times do you think Paul got ready to preach or got ready to talk and somewhere in the back of his mind the enemy went, do you remember when you killed Stephen? You murderer. They'll never take you seriously. You hypocrite. You're a liar. You killed Stephen. How many times do you think that thought came into his head? Well, let, let me ask you. Have you ever been about to tell someone some good news? You ever wanted to tell someone about Jesus and the enemy said, oh, don't you remember? Who are you to tell? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I remember the, the first year of my life, and I know I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. The first year of my life, I, I had some things in my past, guys, some, some things that I wish I could erase. I have hurt people, like things that I wish I could remove from my life, but I could not remove them. And every time I got up to preach, the enemy said, who are you? Who, who are you? What if they find out? And so I preached with fear, not fear that I couldn't preach, <laughs> fear that you might know the truth. And so one day, I went into my brother Jeff's office. And I know I've told you this, guys, but I'm sorry. He's the holiest man I've ever met. It's like the Pope. I walked into his office, and I said, Jeff, I've got to tell you everything I've ever done. And he said, all right, let me get a cup of coffee. And I, and I told him. And the weight left. And the chains broke. And I found ways to use my guilt to motivate my ministry. I found ways to use my guilt to fuel this fire. I found ways to use my guilt to become more empathetic to what you're going through. I found ways to use this guilt to never believe that I am anything other than a sinner saved by the grace of God. I found a way to allow my past to motivate me to have a better future. Paul refused to let his past define his future. He said, I was there, but now I'm changed. And that is the beauty of why I love Paul so much. And God, when he's talking to Ananias, listen to what God says in Acts 9, 13. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. He said, this man, this killer of Christians is my chosen instrument. And I read that this week and I said, based on what? Like, based on what, God? And as clear as I said that to God, God said it back to me and he said, you're my chosen instrument based on what? <laughs> and the answer was clear for me and it's clear for Paul and it's clear for you based on the blood of the lamb, based on Jesus Christ. It is not based on me. It is not based on my perfection. It is not based on my past. It is not based on my ability. God does not call perfect people. He perfects the people he calls. And you know that and I know that and Paul knows that, and we cannot let our past define our tomorrow. Paul didn't. I'm not going to, and you shouldn't either. This is not about us. This is so much bigger than us. And so if God is putting a calling on you, and your first question is based on what? God is laughing. He's saying, based on Jesus. 
The same thing I base everything on. I based your salvation on it. I based your hope on it. I based your peace on it. I based your joy on it. I based your tomorrow on it. I base everything regarding you on my son based on Jesus. Based on Jesus. And when you read about Paul, allow him to lead you into worship. Paul, Paul says, I love this. Like, I'm not there, but I hope to be there one day. Paul stands up in front of a group of people and says, model me. He says, I model Christ. Christ. Christ took all thoughts captive for the glory of God, all temptations, all joy. He took it all captive for the glory of God. Paul took it all captive for the glory of Jesus. That's why Paul can stand in front of a room and say, you model me based on Christ. How gorgeous is that, man? I visited a lady in prison. She's at ADC right now, and she's going to spend, I don't know, a year or so of her life in there. And uh, she is, I, I, I get to see these things in real life. Like, we, you know how many times someone has said, like, you should do this? Or like, man, you, and, and our response is, well, I'm not God. Yeah, I'm not God, right? You can't expect me. I'm not Jesus. Paul wasn't God. Paul was a normal dude who killed Christians, but he did a lot of godly things. So can you. So this lady, she's in jail. And I go there and I'm visiting with her and it always smells so bad in jail. Like I wish one of our mission things, we would just go in there and clean that thing because it just, it does not smell good. So she's on the other side of this, of this glass window and she knows what she's in there for. She did it. She's confessed it. And we're talking and she's taking all her fears captive. And I'm, I'm looking in her eyes as she says these words. I didn't want this. I don't believe God wanted it for me, but I believe I'm in here for a reason and I'm gonna reach somebody. Are you kidding? Based on what? Based on Jesus Christ, based on the blood of the lamb. We've got a missionary in ADC right now. We have infiltrated the jail. You know what happens when Paul and Silas infiltrated the jail? The doors burst open and the guards accepted Jesus Christ. We will win one because we have one on the inside. Now, I don't encourage you, you find ways to get there. I'm not even saying that. Let's all go. No, you won't. It's, I'm telling you. But this is the mindset of someone who's taken everything captive for the glory of God. This is my situation. Let it be. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I don't care. Give it to me. That is the mindset of a missionary whose life is not based on their circumstances, but a God who loves them in all circumstances. I visited a lady in the hospital last week. Her husband is here this morning. And uh, at that point, she'd been there about 25 days. And she told me I could share this. Lady in jail didn't, but that's all right. She, she'd been there about 25 days at that point, I believe. And I, and I asked the dumbest question any pastor can ever ask on a hospital visit to someone who's been there 25 days. Guess what it was? How you doing? I mean, anyone who's ever gone through any bad trauma, somebody at some point comes up to you and says, how you doing, right? And you're like, oh. So I go in there to this lady who's in the hospital. She, how you doing? And she looks at me and says, it is well. And I said, based on what? Like, based on what? Like, I'm looking at you, you, got, you, got, you know, you're, you're in the hospital, you've been here 25 days, they don't even really know when you're gonna get out of here. Based on what? And she said, based on the fact 
that I do not put my faith in my present circumstances, but I place it in my standing with God. And he and I are good, and it is well. And her and her husband share communion together every single day in the hospital. That's Paul. That's Jesus. That's real people who have come to believe they can really change the world. These aren't gods doing God things. These are people doing God things. And so maybe, maybe, let me just challenge you, maybe as you read Paul and you come to believe that it was possible for him, just maybe it becomes possible for you. Use it for his glory. Believe that you are empowered by a God who's not of this world. And people, ordinary, broken people, will do extraordinary things.